Good morning, church. Welcome. So glad you are here. Glad you are joining us at home. I was walking around. Somebody looked at me and said, you look stressed. And I said, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. And she said, take a breath. I know I tell everybody here when I do this, a lot of times, take a breath, relax, let the world out for a while and enter in. Well, thank you for reminding me to do the same thing. Take a breath. It is time to worship the Lord. I pray you came here with a joyful heart. But either way, joyful heart or not, you're in the right place. So, let's go to the Word. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, is now no, right, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law has, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let's pray. Father God, your ways are so much higher than we can imagine. But you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. You sent your Son to show us, to call us to you. Thank you, God. I thank you for each person sitting in these pews today and for those who are at home tuning in that that you would bless them, bless us with your spirit. Yes, for those that are maybe not in a place of feeling like they're worshipful, change that spirit. Lift them up, Lord God, by your grace, by your mercy. Bless every part of this service, Lord God. May it bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to do our creed. If you could stand and join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. You may be seated. And new song. Something you may or may not be familiar with. I hear it on the radio pretty regularly. In fact, I heard it on the radio on my way to church about a month ago, and I thought, that is a great song. If we can look at the, the lyric up here to the chorus, by faith I keep pressing on. By faith 
hope is never gone. No matter what I'm walking through, nothing, no matter what, all things are possible with you. By faith on the rock I stand, the firm foundation I stand, by faith, always, always I will trust your plan. Every step I take along the way, I will walk by faith. What do we call ourselves? Faith Discovery Church. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, it was accounted as righteousness to Abraham and the, fa- and the fathers. The same is true today. Grace and faith. Let's stand together and let's join the team. Here we go.
may be seated. Good morning to everyone. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church again. Hi to you online. It's so nice that you've decided to join us this morning in worship and prayer. And you have the advantages that you can speak to each other. We're, we just sort of sit here mummified. <laughs> so take the opportunity that you have. Share your prayer requests online as I pray. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to remember that you are sovereign over all of history. And in our times of doubts and discouragement, help us to lift up our eyes to heaven and turn to you. Truly, one day the families of all And begin with us, Lord, here at Faith Discovery. We pray for your help as this week of VBS begins. Strengthen all of the leaders and teachers and helpers. And Lord, bless every child that walks through these doors and prepare them for the good news of the gospel. Lord, may a special anointing rest on all of us this week. 
Be glorified now in the remainder of this service. Open our hearts and minds to your word. Bless our pastor as he brings us the word this morning. And then help us once again to approach your table this morning with clean hearts and clean hands so that we might receive you anew and once again present ourselves to you for your use. All of these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, why don't you all stand up and greet someone, especially someone who may be new to you this morning. We are glad that you're with us this morning. We have a few announcements for you. Um, if you have, if this is your first time and um, we don't know you and you don't know us, we would love for you to fill out a connection card in the row in front of you or maybe someone handed that to you um, when you walked in and we would love to get to know you a little bit. You can bring that over to the um, Welcome Center at the end of service and there is a gift for you as well. Um, even if you've been here for, for a while, you can use that QR code in your bulletin. You can use those cards in front of you. Um, if you have prayer requests, if you would like to um, get involved in something that you haven't been involved before, you can use those to do that. So um, don't be shy. We would love to know how we can serve you and how you might want to be part of this community. This Wednesday, our Bible study is recess, so no Bible study this Wednesday night because, if you haven't noticed, it is VBS week. Um, so we are ready. We have one day. Our astronaut is suited up. Um, there will be more astronauts, I promise. Um, they might be a little bit even anti-gravity. We're going to hope that there are some anti-gravity astronauts um, for this week. So VBS is coming. Um, couple things. We know we are going to outer space. And this week we are praying that the God of the universe, that the God who created the stars and the planets and the things that we see far away sent his son close to us. And we pray that these kids who come through the doors, that the families that we serve um, know through all the songs and all the stories and all the fun and all the silliness that there is a real God who loves them, that he sent his son so that we can all know him. Could you pray that with us this week? That is our prayer as leaders. Um, Thank you for making this possible. Thank you for all of you who are going to put on that T-shirt and be here tomorrow morning at 830. Um, We will see you then. 
If you are able to help afterwards, we're going to, or today, I mean after service today, we're going to be doing some setting up. So there's some setting up on the stage that will be done over a little bit of time, but Gary needs some help outside before it rains, setting up a tent. I need some help with some setting up and doing some paperwork, so there's something for everyone. If you're willing, hang out in the cafe afterwards, and I will get you a job. If you are not going to be at Vacation Bible School this week because you think you're older than sixth grade, sadly, and you can't be a leader, sadly, don't worry. You can come on Thursday night. Um, Thursday night is our family night and friends night. If you want to get a little taste of what VBS is like through the week, if you want to sing the songs with Becca, um, if you want to, <laughs> Becca's excited. Um, if you want to go up and get a taste of each of our stations, come Thursday night. Um, it's about an hour and a half, and we would love to host you. You will see the kids with their families, um, and it's a great time to get to know some families from our community as well. So plan to do that Thursday night. And finally, as I said last week, we have met our Vacation Bible School budget, so so thank you so much for giving towards that. Yes. Um, but just in general, though, we have to run the air conditioning all week, all like all 24-7 <laughs> for the whole week so that our, our building is cool. And those things cost money. We are glad to have all the facilities and all the ways that we can serve our community. So thank you um, when you give. Here, we pray that that money, that those funds, that those um, prayers are not only concentrated in this place, but that... Um, they reach out so that we can reach our community. So thank you for all of that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being a little bit excited with me because I get excited this week. Um, and I'll see you afterwards if you have a way that you can help. And please pray for our kids and our families as we go through the week. Let's continue in a little bit more worship together. Why don't we stand?
God, we thank you so much for how much you love us. Lord, even as we, we talked last week a little bit, you're great in so many ways. You're bigger than we could imagine. You're stronger than we can imagine. You love us more than we could imagine. And so we come today and we just take a few minutes. But God, I pray that it would be our heart's desire to not take just a few minutes to focus on you, but that we would be, uh, that this would just be a time where we encourage each other and that we're together, but that we would be aware of, focused on, and grateful for your greatness all the time. I pray you'd be honored by everything we say and do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have, uh, you may be seated. Uh, kids are dismissed to Kids Church, and while they're doing that, check out this video. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and I am so grateful that you've chosen to spend a few uh, minutes with us this morning, that you've carved out a little bit of time on your Sunday morning to be with us. Uh, as many of you who've been around have heard me say, well, every time we say yes to something, we say no to other things. And you said no to a bunch of other things this morning to be here. Uh, and church is better when you're here. So thank you so much for being here. Also online, even as Doc talked uh, or, or referenced and, and said hello to you guys earlier, we're glad that you're here. Uh, people are, are from all over the country, all over the world, uh, hang out with us a little bit on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. So thank you for doing that. Uh, last week, we began a new series uh, on the... Uh, we're, um, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and really we're talking about the Israelites' experience at Sinai. And we, I started that series by uh, describing a scene from C.S. Lewis's uh, book in the Chronicles of Narnia, called, uh, talking about the, voy- uh, the voyage of the Dawn Trader. And I talked about how Edmund and Lucy uh, are upstairs at their cousin Eustace's house, and they're staring at a painting on a wall of a ship from a Narnian sea. And the more they look at that picture, the more real it starts to get. And uh, even as their cousin is, is making fun of them for uh, wishing they were in a different place, they, the, sh- the waves on the, on the p- painting start to move. And before they know it, they're starting to be get sprayed by mist. And pretty soon they're captured into the picture and they're uh, adrift on the Narnian Sea. And the picture has come to life for them. And I talked about how that's really, uh, C.S. Lewis is giving us kind of a glimpse of what Scripture could and should be for us. That, that the more we read Scripture, the more we spend time reading the Bible, it becomes more than just something we read. It, it captures us into the story. And we become part of we're the, the experience. We experience the goodness of God, and we experience things that happen in Scripture in, in a real way the more we spend time in the Scriptures. And so... Um, 
I'm curious this morning, what pop culture reference or movie or book uh, have you found that brings you into a new world? Some of you are Trekkies. And uh, the world of Star... There you go. Doc is all about uh, that. The world of Star Trek sometimes brings people in. Or Star Wars. Because uh, there's not a lot of people who like both. But, uh, but the Star Wars brings people, introduces people into a new world. For most of my life, certainly my teenage years and early adulthood, I was not a reader. I didn't enjoy reading. I did it as a... Uh, a I did it. Yeah. I often did my homework, the reading that I had in school. I did it as a chore, uh, as part of an assignment, but I very rarely did I really just love it. But there were um, a series of books, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings books. And I'm a little bit of a nerd about this, but they I used to read those books once a year. I'd read the whole series every year and get taken into this world. In fact, I'd be sad. This is really telling you about my geekhood. I'd be sad when I'd finish the series every year because I would let go of my friends for a little while. Uh, the, 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 the characters have become to life. I encourage you to read. Uh, never mind. This, that's not what we're, this is about today. But um, as we read and talk about the Sinai experience this summer as a church, I'm hoping that we begin to feel like we're transported into the, uh, the story. And maybe even we can experience our own Sinai-like revelation. Last Sunday, we detailed the backdrop of the story that led the Israelites out of Egypt and to this mountain. This mountain that was out of their way. The, the, the trip from Egypt to the promised land, which is where they wanted to go. If you walk in a direct line, it's about a two-week journey. And so 60 days after they've already been walking in the desert, they come to Sinai and they've been directed there by God. They're following uh, the God's presence. By day, there's a cloud, which I was thinking about this week. They're walking through the desert. Um, I was, when I was in Europe last week, it was hot. And there was oftentimes I was looking for shade and there was none. And I was, I was thinking about this group of people walking through the desert, and I'm sure they wanted shade. Now, I used to think that I was born in the perfect time, because I was born after the creation of air conditioning. I didn't think, I think God knew me so well that he said, that guy can't live where there's no air conditioning. But I learned on my trip. In Smyrna, we were in the Agora, which is the ancient marketplace. And there's really, really in, in Smyrna, in the ancient marketplace, it's become a collection of, of pillars and relics that they've found from around the city. And they've kind of compiled everything in one square block on, on the ground. But under the ground, in the catacombs, they've unearthed all, many tunnels and original like uh, carvings, and you can read the inscriptions on the wall, and you're walking in the place, which was typically, would have typically held like slave quarters or, or storage areas for the people who were selling things up on, on the ground, on the main level. And in these catacombs, there's a, tr- there was, there's still to this day, there's a trench that runs through the middle of it with ice cold water that comes from fountains. And it's ancient 
air conditioning. It keeps those catacombs cool. To this day, I was like, I found my people. And so I'm all about air conditioning. But I can imagine walking through the desert, and I've never thought about this before, but a cloud might have provided some shade, some coolness. So God's even providing for people like me as the Israelites walk through the desert. But they're following God's presence. And instead of a two-week journey where they go from point A to point B, God takes them, and 60 days into their journey, they come to this mountain. And that's, that's troubling for some of us. The Israelites wanted to get to the promised land. That was their, that was the, the end of their journey. That was the thing they had thought about for generations. And sometimes I think in our, even in our modern way, we're, we want the efficiency of getting from point A to point B as fast as we can. But the reality is God's not always interested in us getting from point A to point B as fast as we can. God often takes us in a journey into places we don't understand or want to go because he's teaching us things about what he wants us to know that when we get to the destination, we're prepared for being ready to be there. And so instead of going on this two-week journey, God takes them through the desert for about two months. He brings them to Sinai. And they're, it's there that he in, He intends to engage them and to give them a revelation of his presence. Uh, Doc and I were talking this week, and uh, we were talking about um, last week's message. And I I encourage you to do that. Uh, You should talk to each other and talk to me about what we talk about at church on Sunday. That's how it becomes real, and we wrestle with it. And Doc said, I'm not sure I agree with you on something. And, I, and he, said, he said, I think God meant to bring them to Sinai on purpose. And I was like, apparently I didn't communicate well because I think that. You see, it's at Sinai that God gives them the Ten Commandments. It gives them um, guidelines, rules, standards that they will then use to live out their life over the next, well, to this day, those things are are things that we talk about. They're, They're things that laws are made by. And I'm going to skip down because I covered a bunch of this and so... um, But this is not... uh, That's not how... uh, Our efficiencies aren't how God's economy works. God's interested in our development. He's interested in creating us to be fully engaged image bearers. He's interested in in our spiritual health. We're often interested in the fruit of spiritual health. We like the results. God's interested in the thing that produces the results. We are often too results-based. And sometimes we sell, we sell short the long-range goal of real health for short-term goals of facades. This week, this building will transform. I encourage you, even if you can't stay long after church today, to, um, to, to, ha- to help the setup. I encourage, already walk through some of the children's rooms upstairs. It looks like there's a room up there that you will be convinced it's already the surface of the moon. It's incredible. But it's not the surface of the moon. It's a facade. 
It, it wasn't, it didn't take long, uh, didn't take a short time to set up. People have been here all week, uh, pouring into the preparation for these children to come this week. But it's just a facade. Sometimes we settle for the facade of good when God wants to take us on a longer journey to produce realness in us so that the facade isn't fake. It's not short term. It really produces long term effects. And so God takes the Israelites to Sinai instead of taking them right to the promised land. If he takes them right to the promised land, you know what's going to happen? Failure. This is a people that's been in, this is a people that's been enslaved for 400 years. And now they're, they're walking around the, the desert kind of in groups, but there's no structure. There's no system to be able to function and they're going to go and become a nation and they're not ready. And so they come to Sinai and God gives them guidelines, standards, structure that they could flourish as a nation. Now, sometimes we look at the ten. Oh, boy, I am really jumping ahead. Good luck following me with these slides. I'm a little passionate. Can you tell? Sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments or other rules we get in life, and we, uh, we don't like them. How many people like rules? I was, uh, yes, there are some people who like rules. They're afraid to raise their hand right now because they don't want to be mocked. But some people like rules. I typically have never been a rules guy. I, it's unfortunately my default usually to make fun of rule followers. I married a rule follower. Short marriage tip. Don't make fun of your spouse every day. It doesn't go well. So I've learned to not mock Joy's desire to rule follow. But it's often this t- the, the two become one. And, and oftentimes when two things become one, it's explosive. And Joy and I, a rule follower and not rule follower, it's often explosive. And sometimes, it, like, I have to fight the urge to not rule follow because she's sitting next to me. If, we're, if I'm driving and I'm coming up on an exit... And I see a line of cars building up to go off that exit. Nothing inside of me wants to get in that line. I want to go to the exit and cut off those people off because I'm in a hurry. And nothing makes Joy more frustrated than when I cut all those people off. (laughs) All those people. And so we like there are times when some of us don't like rules and we look at guidelines and guardrails as rules and structure and they're prohibitive. The Ten Commandments are are rules, they're structure, they're guidelines. They're not prohibitive. God brings these this people, his people out of 400 years of slavery and he brings them to Sinai to prepare them for their future and he gives them a set of guardrails or guidelines not to be a hindrance but so that they can flourish in the freedom he's just given them he's just brought them out and now he gives them the ability to flourish inside of the gift he's given them because if you get a gift but you don't know how to use it or you use it incorrectly it's no longer a gift it's a burden And so God brings the Israelites to to Sinai to release the burden of their freedom so that they can flourish in it. 
this all kind of this story starts as we started reading in Exodus 19. And so let's start today at Exodus 19, verse 17. I'm going to catch my breath. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up, and it was like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain so that Moses went up. God was ultimately going to bring the Israelites to the promised land because that was part of his plan for his people. But before he gets them there, he wanted to share with them the the covenant that would form the framework of all that Israel was or that it hoped to be. The Ten Commandments represent a covenant entered into by God and Israel. Because he wanted, like I said, he wanted them to be prepared to flourish. And at Sinai, God gives gives them, God gives Moses and Israel ten words. We know them as the Ten Commandments. But did you know that the Hebrew Scriptures never call them the Ten Commandments? They call them the Ten Words. And these words, or commands as we call them, they come from a God who had rescued Israel who has a relationship with Israel and has revealed his name to Israel. And they set the guardrails for how the nation of Israel would function, both systematically and socially. They're not ready to function as a sovereign government, and so God readies them. I was talking this week with someone, and, and they were talking about how parenting has given them a lot of... Um, perspective on how God deals with us. And I was thinking about that as, as I uh, was going through the week, and Joy and I were talking about uh, some parenting issues, and we have three, if you don't know us, we have three sons. One's 19, one's uh, 15, and one's 10. And a 19-year-old is, um, is a licensed driver. But our 15-year-old, we're one year away from that scariness. And so as we were talking about how, how our middle one is one year away from becoming a licensed driver, because uh, he'll turn 17 next month, and in New Jersey, when you turn 17, you can get your license. And, and we were, I was reflecting back on uh, the year of preparation for our oldest to become a driver. And I remember telling James, who is our oldest, I'm preparing you, I'm going to teach you, I'm trying to make you a bad driver. And he was like, What? And my goal for, for my, for, uh, to prepare uh, James to drive was that he'd be a bad driver. Because I can't make him a good driver. The only way you get to be a good driver is through experience. More and more. You, you learn as you go through to be instinctive. But when you first get your license, you're still thinking. Something happens and you're trying to process what's the right thing to do. That only happens the more you do it. So there was no way I could make him a good driver. I just needed to give him all of the foundational basics to be able to least let him to not uh, be really dangerous. That's kind of what's happening. Not everything that happens at Sinai is Israel has a plan book for how everything will go. History shows us they screwed up a lot. 
But at Sinai, God gives them the basis, the foundation for how to live as a nation, as a sovereign people. And so he gives them these words. But throughout history, throughout the study of these Ten Commandments, I'm going to call them the commandments because we call them the commandments, even though I'm not going to say words. Throughout history, the commandments have been actually incorrectly divided into two groups. Some, there have been, there's been studies that would say the first four are about Israel and God, or people to God. And the next six are about people to people. And there's certainly true, it's certainly true that there's an interpersonal uh, uh, standard to, to some of the commandments. But all of the commandments, every part of the commandments are about the, uh, the, the covenant between God and man. And in the covenant community, every part of life is an expression and loyalty, uh, an expression of worship and loyalty to God because he's committed himself to these people. So how we treat each other reflects to God. And so it's not two separate groups. It's all one group. Some are in our direct worship to God, and some are indirect worship to God by how we treat each other. How we treat each other matters to God. How the Israelites were treating each other. That's why he says things like, don't murder. Don't don't kill. But um, think about this example just to, to clarify it. When David sins... When David uh, uh, sins with Bathsheba, when he uh, sins with Bathsheba, that's what we'll go to this morning. Um, he lusts after his neighbor's wife. He commits adultery. He murders her husband. Which, by the way, that's three commandments out of the way. And then when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, you know what he says? He says, I have sinned against the Lord. For David, the so-called interpersonal commands have everything to do with his relationship with God. Because they're all about how we engage and worship God. Conversely, if just one... uh, Israelite rebels against Yahweh. It puts the entire community at risk of God's judgment. The obvious example there is of Achan, who kept some of the plunder of Jericho despite the real instructions not to. And so uh, when he does that, all of Israel is vulnerable in their next battle. Because all ten of these commandments reflect a proper disposition towards God, and all ten affect the entire covenant community. By keeping them, Israelites not only honor God, but they ensure that the community of faith can flourish. When you realize the truth of the fact that God cares about how we engage each other, you begin to see things differently. Our perspectives shift, and we realize that the covenant, the commandments are not burdens or bondage. They're guardrails meant to protect the freedom God had given us. With all of that in mind, let's turn our attention now to the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 6 reads, And God spoke these words, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make yourself no, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, uh, uh, heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of, for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, one might think it's easy, but there's actually some debate in Christendom about what exactly are the Ten Commandments. We know there are ten because two times in Scripture, once in Exodus and once in Deuteronomy, it tells us there are ten. And you might think it might be easy to count to ten. Like, it's pretty basic stuff. But there is debate on what are, what are the Ten Commandments. There's, there's many schools of thought, but there's principally two schools of thought. And some of you have grown, grown up in, in, in separate ones. There's, there's one called the Catholic School of Thought. There's one called the Reformed School of Thought. And they see the first commandment differently. And so, if we're going to talk about the first commandment as we're examining it, I want to define what we, what we are going to consider this summer and moving forward to be the first commandment. For, for the purposes of our study, we're going to call this first commandment, worship no one but Yahweh. And this command consists of three parts. First, it comes from verse 2. I am Yahweh your God. Right from the very start of this, this covenant, God sets the standard for who he is. I'm your God. And then uh, the second and third parts come from verses 3 through 6. It says, you have no other gods, and you must not make an image. And this may be different than what you're used to, but uh, this is... I don't have time to go into all the explanation, but this is the easiest way for us to, to talk about it. The, the first part of the command, I am Yahweh your God, it's a, it provides a, rational, a rationale for limiting worship to Yahweh. See, God is, Yahweh is saying, I'm the God who set you free. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Worship me alone. Then no image belongs together with the other gods. And there are two reasons. One is historical and one is grammatical and kind of nerdy. The historical reason is that worship and images went hand in hand in ancient world. You made images of the things you worshipped. It wouldn't be possible to properly worship a deity without an image of that deity. Just it would have, as it would have been nonsensical to possess an image that you didn't worship. The point of images was worship. The means of worship was images. And God comes in and wrecks that system. Changes it. The, the grammatical reason, and I'm not even going to get it. It's really geeky. Um, the call to have images underscores the seriousness. The, uh, the call to have no under, uh, images underscores the seriousness of the command to worship only Yahweh. It's interesting. Nowhere does it make an effort to teach the Israelites or command the Israelites that there aren't any other gods. 
Instead, they call Israel to worship only Yahweh in a sea of options. Yahweh is the only legitimate deity deserving of worship. So rather than monotheism, which is the existence of one God, the Ten Commandments teach henotheism, which is the worship of one God. It's not to say there weren't other gods. Uh, The Israelites and their neighbors regularly assumed that other gods existed, and so they would make shrines to worship. And Yahweh comes in and says, none of those gods pale, or every one of those gods pales in comparison to who I am. I'm the legitimate God. I'm the one worthy. By the way, it feels really weird saying that in the personal. God is saying, I'm the God you should worship. All the other things go away. The uniqueness of Yahweh is that he calls for exclusive worship. Yahweh called for a new way to worship for the Israelites and for us today. God is calling us to be devoted only to him. And instead of having images to worship, get this, instead of us creating an image to worship, he has created us in his image so we worship. We are the images of him. We don't worship someone, something we created. We worship the one who created us. And when God brings that to Sinai, everything in the history of the world changes. You see, there were three things I said that were part uh, in, in the beginning, right? He uh, he uh, he had restored their freedom from. Um, there were three parts of the. I'll go back so I don't confuse this. There were three. Uh, the, the commands came from a God who did three things. He rescued Israel. He has a relationship with Israel. And if it's just those two things, it'll work. But the third thing makes it different. He names himself for Israel. He gives his name. He reveals, he tells Israel, when you reveal your name, it's personal. At Sinai, he ceases to become a idea and becomes a very real experience for these people. Those of us who have an experience of coming to Christ when we didn't know him before, and the idea of God was an idea, but then we have an experience with Jesus, and it becomes very real. It becomes very personal. That's what happens for Israel at Sinai. You don't need it. We can't make an image that reflects God as well as the image he made to reflect God when he made you. And so that, that leaves me with one question. And it's, re, it's reflective of today's message. It really sets up next week's message. Uh, next week's study uh, I've been working on next week's study for about, it's been, actually, it's been working on me for about a year. I hope it's really good. 
but I don't think you want to miss it. But it, it sets up this one question. You see, uh, we are images of Yahweh, and our lives should point in the direction uh, to Yahweh. Everyone around us should, be po- should, re- should see Yahweh by us. Our lives are meant to point others to him. That's what being a true image bearer is. So the question I want to leave you with is when other people look at you, what do they say your life is pointing towards? Would you pray with me this morning? God, help us to point people in the direction of you. God, I thank you that you intimately want to have relationship with us. You're not an ideal. You're not a context. You're not a convexure uh, out there that is distant. You are right here with us. You know us intimately, and you desire that we know you intimately. And so, God, as we come to the communion table today, As we reflect on your sacrifice by remembering your body and your blood that was spilled and broken for us. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would respond by making choices that reflect your character into a dark world. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're new with us this morning, we share communion at the end of every service, and you are certainly invited to participate. The way we do it is we invite people to stand, and we'll have uh, elders at the front here, and guys, you can come. Um, and you you can come forward and receive the elements, and then I, we ask that you return to your seats, and we'll share them all together. If you're not able to come forward but you'd like to participate, we'll have somebody Uh, around get you the elements and if you're not comfortable sharing them this morning no pressure but i'm going to invite people to stand and come forward uh, and we will receive communion together
Luke chapter 22 reveals to us or details for us the last, what we know as the last supper. It's, it's the night before Jesus betrayed. It's, it's what we recognize when we come to the table. And uh, often, to be honest with you, often when I talk about uh, communion, I will read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul is instructing the church in Corinth on how to do this properly. But today I wanted to, I talked so much about how God wants to be intimately and personal with us. I want to look at Jesus' night at the, commun- at the Last Supper. And so in, in Luke 22, um, in verse 15, he says, I have eagerly, Jesus is talking, and he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus is eager to have intimate moments with us. It feels strange. It doesn't necessarily make sense to us how the God of the universe cares so deeply and intimately about us. If you've ever been in a crowd, uh, when you're in a crowd like at, a, at a sports event or a concert or something, it can feel, in the middle of all the people, it can sometimes feel lonely because you almost don't have an identity. You're, you're just one of many. But that's not how God relates to any of us. And that's why the name is so important. So Jesus sits down and he says, I've been waiting to meet with you. And so this morning, as we come, Remember these words and picture yourself at a table with Jesus when he said, I've been so looking forward to being with you. And then he says, this bread, which I'm breaking. Is my body. It's given for you. And so remember me as you take it. So would you take the bread this morning? Jesus. We're here to honor you, to remember you, and to welcome you. Welcome you into our lives. Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us, and that our lives would point in the direction of you. Would you take the bread with me? goes on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, we talked about a covenant between God and man this morning that was forged at Sinai. But you forged a new covenant. You've made a way for us to have access to the Father and for our relationship, the intimate relationship with the Father to be intimate for each one of us. So God, I pray that we would reflect your life. Would you take the cup with me? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Jesus, I pray.
that we would know that you are, you are Yahweh, our Lord. That we would have no other gods before you. And that we would not have an image that we worship, but that we would be images of you as we worship. And that other people would see you because of us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Uh, please come and hang out with us Thursday night. It's going to be awesome. A great opportunity for us to engage new people in the community. And uh, so we'll all see you Thursday night and then next Sunday. Have a great week. Good. You're going to be One o'clock should be fine.